Heavenly Father, this morning, my heart is full because I've been with the whole Forest Lake Church, all parts of it. God, I know that you're moving in this church in a powerful way, and it's so fun to be along on the ride. And so, God, as we start this five-week journey into the beyond, may you guide our thoughts, may you challenge our hearts, may you make your calling clear to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Breathing. We do it all the time. Take a breath with me. And now we have a super spreader event. (laughs) We only think about breathing when we can't breathe. Have you noticed that when you have a cold, it's the worst? You'll lay in bed. I'm a side sleeper. I don't know about you guys. Sleep on my side. And you'll have one nostril that's closed and one that's open. God gave us two nostrils because he knew one was not enough. And you can't breathe with just one nostril. And so you roll over to the other side. And for a split second, both nostrils are open. And it's wonderful. Only to have another nostril closed and you can't breathe again. We only think about breathing when we can't breathe. This last week, all 11 pastors, which uh, I'm so proud of our pastoral team. They're so great. We, go, we went on a, a pastor's retreat. I don't think it's ever happened in this church, at least in the last 20 years. We went to Homosassa, Florida, and it was, it was just a rich experience because normally our pastors, we get staff meeting together or we get text message conversations. We, we've got a, a, a text thread that says the best team ever, and we text on there all the time. But we rarely have lots of time to just spend with each other and, and talk and dream and bond together. And so this was a rich experience where all 11 of us went and spent two and a half days together. We got to this house in Homosassa. Beautiful pictures on VRBO. Uh, in fact, plenty of beds on VRBO. We get there and the house, everybody said, this house is drunk. We, we, you walk in the door and it was slanted so badly that you just kind of shuffled into the kitchen because that's where your gravity took you. Uh, it said it would sleep 12. Nope, there was only enough for 11. So Pastor Steve got the couch. Everybody else had to, to spoon with somebody else. Pastor Tim and I got to know each other well, and yes, he does snore, am I right? I don't know where Pastor Pastor Tim is. One of our favorite outings on this trip was to go just 23 minutes north to the Crystal River where the manatees are. Have you all gone swimming with manatees? Good. That's a better response here than the other services that I've been at this morning. It's been like a handful, and I thought, man, we need to take a church trip up to the manatees. Because you know how the manatees, they're out in the gulf, and when the water gets too cold there, they come into the rivers where the springs are, and it's 72 degrees in the water year-round, and so they come to the warm spot. And so we went up to Crystal River, and we get there. In fact, I got some pictures. This is the team here. Um, We are all, most of us there are in wetsuits. Let me tell you, there's nothing beautiful about pastors in neoprene wetsuits. (laughs) Nothing. Got on the bus, went over to the, uh, the dock, got on the boat, and uh, went around to where the manatees were. In fact, I got a picture here of Pastor Mark swimming with uh, Barbara Manatee. There she is. I think she probably was sleeping. It was just awesome. But the, the part of the story that makes the most sense, or that I'm trying to tell you the story, is when we got in the water. 72 degrees is, is a little chilly. Uh, somebody said, yes, and it is. Even with a wetsuit on. Now, Pastor Mark, he got in first. He gets in there, but he's like pro surfer. He's used to the cold. Pastor Juan got in next. 
and he, you know, he's got his mask on and his snorkel in his mouth. And as he gets into that cold water, his body is shocked. And you could hear his breathing through his snorkel. And he was... <gasps> but like a, a chiseled muscle man CrossFit like guy that he is, somehow he managed to flex his lungs and just kind of gain composure of himself. Well, I've been in cold water before, and I know it takes a while to gain composure, and I'm the next guy in the water, and I know everyone's going to be making fun of me after I get in. And so I like, go into the water, and that cold water was just shocking my body. I sounded like a pregnant woman at a Lamaze birthing class. <laughs> I couldn't breathe. Isn't it funny that we don't think about breathing until you can't breathe? Yet we do it all the time. Inhales and exhales. The psalmist, David, he writes about breathing and he says there is a requirement if you can breathe. And he says it in Psalm 150. And here it is on the screen for you. It says this. David says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. He says, if you're in the sanctuary, you praise Him. If you're outside, you praise Him then too. He goes on. He says the next part. He says, praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. He says, look, this is why he should be praised. He goes on to how you should praise him. Here's what he says. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praising him, praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. And then he says, who should be the ones that are praising? Here's what he says. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Are you breathing this morning? If you can breathe, then you should be worshiping. It's almost like our inhales are the inhale of God's grace and mercy and goodness and forgiveness. And our exhales are worship. There's a story that is uh, a powerful story that shows one thing. It's worship, and it's worshiping with everything that you've got, every part of your being, with every, every bit of who you are. It's a story that's a strange story because it breaks down classes and hierarchies and any kind of division. It puts everyone on the same plane, and it's in the book of 2 Samuel. And if you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible and don't have a Bible, there's a blue one in front of you and you can follow along on page 218 where you can read what I'm reading. Here's some context for you. David and the Israelites have just whooped up on the Philistines again. They've conquered them again. And now David wants to take the capital and move it to Jerusalem. But the biggest part of who they are is the Ark of the Covenant, that golden box where the two cherubs have their wingtips touching and the presence of God, his, his, his Shekinah glory sits there on the box. They want to take that to the capital. We pick up our story, 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 3. Here's what it says. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating. And let's pause for a moment to think of the word celebrating. 
We celebrate when we achieve things. We celebrate at birthday parties because you've achieved another year of life. We celebrate graduations because you've achieved an education. We celebrate at weddings because you finally found a husband. Can I get a witness, somebody? <laughs> we celebrate when we achieve things. And David and all Israel are celebrating that they have just dominated the Philistines. Here it goes. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. I mean, they're having a party. I mean, they've got instruments. They're jumping around and dancing, and they're probably saying, we beat the Philistines. We're number one. Look at us go. Look at what we've achieved. And then something happens that is uh, shocking. Verse 6, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. What a party stopper. What a killjoy. I mean, there's no more celebrating happening. Somebody just died on the road. And every time I think of this story, and you do the same thing too, when you think of this story and God kills Uzzah, a man who reaches out to steady the ark of God, who, who's trying to help, it makes me ask the question, is God just in killing someone? Especially someone that's trying for the greater good, even though he disobeyed? You know, I, I, I think that sometimes we forget how holy God really is. And we take uh, the glory of glories and we bring him down and we humanize him here on our level like he's our buddy and our pal. Like we can just reach out and touch him whenever we want. And we bring divinity and we make him humanity. And Uzzah disobeys God's commands and how to treat the, the Ark of the Covenant, his presence, who he is. And he died for it. And it reminds me of how unworthy and sinful I am and how deserving of death I am too. And what happens when we get a reverence check where we say, man, you better treat God in a more uh, holy way. What happens when we get the reverence check? We become scared. That's what happens. Verse 9, here's what it says. David was afraid of the Lord that day. David and the whole nation realized that their act of celebration was not about God. It was only about them and their achievements and their victories. They realized that what they were doing had nothing to do with worship. It had everything to do with their own abilities. And when we get so close to God, we realize how human we really are. When we see how perfect and holy He is, it shows how imperfect and unholy we are. When humanity is in the presence of divinity, we see how unworthy we are to be in His presence. But thank God that He is merciful, that He's a God of grace, that He's a God of forgiveness. David, he decides that he needs some time to, to work on his heart. So he takes the ark and he sends it to the house of Obed-Edom. I'm glad I don't have the name Obed-Edom, but this guy had his name. The ark goes and is at this guy's house for three months. And while it's there, the guy is blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. In fact, it's like they hit the lottery. I mean, he gets a pay raise and a company car and it's a Tesla. 
she gets Disney annual passes without any blackout dates given to her. She goes to Publix and she puts her business card in, a, in kind of a drawing and they pull her card out and she gets a lifetime of free groceries. They're blessed, uncountable, unmeasurable because the ark, the presence of God is at their house. Meanwhile, David and the rest of Israel are begging for forgiveness. They're getting their hearts in the right place. They're realizing that God is so holy and that they have to treat him as he should be treated. Finally, David says, we're at a place where we can move the ark again. We pick up our story, verse 13, here's what it says. When those who were carrying the ark, uh, at one point I missed here, David says, let's do it the way God asked us to do it. So he gets the Kohathites, that's the group of Levites, and they pick those long wooden poles that are covered in gold, they slip them through the hoops that are on the side of the ark, and these Levite priests, they put the ark on their shoulders. Here's what it says, verse 13. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now, how I've always heard this story is that uh, the 12 miles from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem, they would take six steps and pause and have, have a sacrifice. Take six more steps, steps, pause, and have a sacrifice. All the way 12 miles. But the Hebrew gives a different idea. The Hebrew gives this idea that these men, as they took these six steps, and can you imagine what they were thinking? As I take this first step, am I going to die? Is God a God of mercy and forgiveness and love? Two, three, four, five, six. And as they get there to the sixth step, they say, we better not take any more before we worship the God of grace and mercy. So they take a, 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 a calf and a bull and they sacrifice and they begin to worship. But this worship is fantastic. It's not some humdrum worship. Listen to what it says here in verse 14. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Man, that's some worship right there. That's worshiping with everything that you got. Jumping, dancing. You know, I've always heard this passage talked about that, that David danced naked before the Lord. I don't think it's naked. I think he did put that linen ephod on. It, it's the commoner's clothes. It's what priests would wear. David, realizing that he was in the presence of the Holy of Holies, he takes his crown off and sets it aside. He takes his royal robe off and he puts it aside. He takes off his flashy shoes and takes them off because he's worshiping the king of kings. It's not about him as a king. It's about the king of kings. He realizes that worship isn't about him. It's about God. And it's no humdrum kind of boring worship. It's lively trumpets and shouting and dancing and jumping. The Bible says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. It's almost as if David was breathing in grace and he was exhaling worship. He worshiped with all his might. Do you think that we worship God with all our might? See, I wonder sometimes if we, if we kind of come to worship and we say, yeah, I'm here, but I'm busy making my to-do list, or I'm busy thinking about the order of haystacks that I'm going to eat later, chips, beans, cheese, that's the right order, just so you know. <laughs> Do we come and worship 
quietly and, and hold ourselves back, or do we worship with everything that we have, with all our might? I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that we should jump and dance, and, but do we, is our worship contagious where people around us, more than just this time here, in, in our daily lives, that they see our worship of God and they're con they, they, they are infected with worship of Him. Do we worship with all our might? Because I'm, I'm going to be honest for a minute, and I'm always honest, but I'm going to be honest now. Church folk get hung up on a few things when it comes to church life. The two biggest conversations in a church, and Pastor Frank, you'll know this, the two biggest conversations are the carpet color and how we should worship. Churches have split because of music styles. Churches have lost people into the unknown because of a certain instrument being played on the platform. Churches across the globe, not just Adventist churches, all of them have been divided over the way we worship. But I'm proud to say that this church right here is learning how to worship with all our hearts, and I can read it. This last couple weeks, you've had the opportunity to fill out a survey for our church because I think vision and value only comes from the people, not just something that's handed to you. And I've heard you. Y'all, out, um, out of all of our members, we've had more than 500 people respond in that survey. That tells me one thing. The people of this church care and love this church. It's cool. And as we look through the, the survey, in fact, I gave it to all the pastors and we've been looking through it all, there was a question that asked, um, in fact, it's, we'll put it on the screen here, it's a graph. Here it is. Which music style do you prefer in church? You probably can't read it from there, but I'll show you. The green bar is traditional, that's hymns and organ, that's uh, 16%. The blue bar is contemporary music, that's praise and worship guitar kind of thing, that's 17%. But look at that bottom line, that yellow bar. 66% of our church say that they, uh, prefer blended music. Now, here's how I'm going to interpret that. I don't actually think it has anything to do with music. I don't even think it has anything to do with your preference. The way I'm going to interpret that is that this church realizes that worship is not about a music style or preference. Worship is all about the one whom we are worshiping. Are you with me on that? And the vast majority of our church understands this concept. That gives me joy in my heart. In fact, the comments prove it. I want to read some comments to you. Now, remember, there was like 40-some questions, and there was 500 people that responded, so that's like a whole bunch of answers. I'm not going to read them all. It's okay. You'll still get to lunch on time. Here, here's, here's one of them. Um, let's make sure our worship service is not a performance. I literally do not care who performs. Everyone, including the singers, should face away from the crowd. And as I think about that, why, wouldn't worship be powerful if we all turned to worship Him? This person says, we need to sing more. Oh, there's an amen. I knew I'd get one there. Here's another one. Worship is totally needed as a congregation. Yeah, I agree. Here, oh, I love this one. Listen, listen, listen. It's not about what I think or what I want. It's about what God wants. True worship is not about feelings and entertainment. It's about singing meaningful songs and hearing His Word which sanctifies. That's powerful. Here's another one. I'd, oh, this is, this is a real good one. This person says, I would make a special donation if we as a congregation could sing Go Tell It on the Mountain at Christmas time. <laughs> That's the only song request we got in there. 
You missed your opportunity. We asked this question too. The question was, what does the value of worship look like? We got five values, so what does it look like? Here, here's, here's just some of them. Ah, I like this one right here. Real worship is learning to know God by spending time with him. It's transformative and renewing. It heals and gives hope. That's good. Here's another one. Worship is returning to God the worship and attention that he's due. Oh, this, this one is so good. Worship is God-centered, not me-centered. Here's another one. Worship is to honor God and no one else. Here's the last two. Worship starts at home in our daily encounters with God. At church, we experience God together as a community. So now we express it by surrendering to God, praising Him and singing and praying and reading God's Word and loving and helping others. They get it. You get it. Here's the last one. Worship means to direct our attention to God and to focus on what is He is saying to us every day. To worship means to walk with Christ every day. Our thoughts, our speech, our activities need to reflect what are His because everything about us demonstrates that fact. Forest Lake Church, it's obvious that, you, that we care about worship and it's one of our values. And if I could look into the beyond... I would see our worship being lived out so much more than 45 minutes on a Sabbath morning. I see it being worship every moment of every day with neighbors and friends and your barber and your auto mechanic and your lawn guy so that your worship is contagious and everyone sees that in every moment of every day with all that you have. If I could look into the beyond for our church, I see more and more people being active in worship, leading up here or being out there. More and more people. If I could look into the beyond, I see our church continuing worshiping through choirs and ensembles and having different instruments. But I see more and more variety that happens with culture, with diversity, with age and generation, all of it. If I could look into the beyond, I see our church growing to a place where we worship with everything that we've got in every moment of every day. And as we continue to breathe, may it be a continual reminder to worship with everything that you've got. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.